This is the Ultimate Advisor Podcast, the podcast for financial advisors who want to create a thriving, successful, and scalable practice. Each week, we'll uncover the ways that you can improve your referrals, your team, your marketing, and your business operations, helping you to level up your advising practice, bring in more assets, and create the advising practice that you've dreamed of. You'll be joined by our hosts, Brian Sweet, who is moving fast towards a billion dollars in assets under management. Brittany Anderson, the driving force for advisors looking to improve their operations and company culture. And Dre Redfern, who can help you systematize and automate your practice's marketing to effortlessly attract new clients. So, what do you say? Let's jump into another amazing episode of the Ultimate Advisor Podcast. Welcome back to your Ultimate Advisor Podcast. Today, you are in for a treat. So a little bit of backstory before I dive into the intro of who we have today. Uh, I actually had the great pleasure of interviewing the gentleman that's about to come up on our Dream Architects Life podcast. It was such riveting content, so many great things. We could have gone on for hours and hours and hours that we decided to bring him to you here in our advisor audience. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Trevor Muir. Trevor is the CEO of SharePoint Group and the founder of the SharePoint Someday to Today initiative. He's laser focused on building a culture of caring and believes to his core that authenticity and vulnerability are strengths. He strives to be an inspiring leader and knows that people help people best by sharing in their experiences. Trevor, welcome. Good to see you again, Brett. Oh, I have been so looking forward to this conversation and, you know, let's, let's get right into it. So, uh, again, backstory, we were talking on another podcast and I was also on Trevor's. We did this back-to-back super fun jam session (laughs) and Trevor started talking about, um, some really cool things that they did to enhance culture through COVID. So these are things that I think could be carried forward. So Trevor, I'd love you to take it away on that note and share what you did, uh, the impact, all the good stuff behind it. Yeah, thank you. Um, and thanks for inviting me back again. I super appreciate it. And I, lo- I love to talk about uh, SharePoint and the team and the culture that we've created here. And, and it really comes down to, you know, p- people caring about people. Um, and, and we're just trying our best to create an environment where folks can come in and be them themselves and uh, and really look after each other. And there's so many stories that I think I shared with you <clears throat> of examples of uh, of things that this team does for for each other and for the company and for for me uh, and and for the community. Um, but a bit of backstory. So we started SharePoint in 2003, and uh, there were 10 owners. I was one of them and 15 people in the entire company. And I'll, I'll kind of go through this part quick. Um, and, and we didn't, we didn't really, I don't think we really understood what we were creating. Uh, we didn't, we weren't business people. We were, we were farmers and, uh, and trades people and, and a bunch of young, young folks and, uh, came together and, and we, and we started to go to work and we were in right place, right time. Um, but our business, we, we thought at one time we were like, ah, maybe we'd, 15 people. Uh, we, we did our first ever strategic planning session with a bunch of quads and, and a couple flats of beer um, in a campsite in the bush. And we said, well, you know, this year we did 4 million. Let's, let's just do 8 million next year. And we kind of just doubled everything. And then we went and had fun for the weekend. Um, and, and we hit that. 
And I remember uh, somebody saying that first year, you know, imagine if we ever had like 40 people in our company, like, holy crow, could you imagine for 40 or 50 people like that would be unreal. And we ended up growing from 2003 to 2013 to 400 um, and, and went international and, 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 you know, the story, when you, when you tell that part of it, it sounds, it sounds amazing, but the reality is, um, from 2003 to 2008, we had created this environment where we were just attracting so many good people and, and people, people wouldn't leave. They just, and so good people attract good people. I, I always say that like our, our job isn't to go in and, and uh, we don't have to do a ton of marketing to try and, and get folks to come here. We have to attract a few good people and they'll go and do it for us if we have the right environment here. And, and so 2008, we ended up selling to a private equity group out of the U.S., and things started to change. <clears throat> we had a mandate to grow, um, and and just just a lot of things happened. Uh, one of the things I I don't think anybody really contemplated was what would happen to a bunch of young owners who finally had some money. You know, uh, to, to us, our goals were, and my personal goal when I was fourteen, fifteen, was to buy a quarter of land, a quad and ride the roller coaster at this uh, West Edmonton mall in Edmonton. Like that was it. That was my bucket list. And, and so all of a sudden, you know, financially things had changed for us and, and a bunch of the bunch of the owners, that's what they did. They went and bought some land and they got some cows and they went and did their, their thing. And slowly over time, um, you know, our culture started to, to disintegrate and we didn't talk about culture back then. We didn't really know much about it other than we were just living it. And in 2013, I became the CEO and things were dire, like 2012, 2013 were really, really tough. We saw some really nice growth. Um, we had gone from 4 million to over 90 million from 2003 to, uh, to 20, uh, 2012. And, and um, I got offered the CEO role. The board was gonna make some changes to leadership and I had turned it down at first. Um, I actually was planning on leaving because this wasn't the company that I had been a part of creating either. And so I had given notice and then the board offered me the CEO role and, and I was in Australia at the time and I, I turned it down. I had gone over there and told them it was probably my last trip uh, over with SharePoint. And, and I came back and talked to my wife and, and told my wife that, you know, I, I, uh, I, I got offered the role and, and she said, don't take it. Like, absolutely don't take it. And, uh, and I, I jokingly tell people that the reason I took it is because she told me not to, but the reality is, uh, I told her I've already turned it down. I had some plans to do some other things. And she asked me a question a couple of days later, how will you feel if you don't? And I, and I remember telling her that, um, I, I said, I, I'm gonna, like things had changed for her and I, we, you know, we grew up, you know, we grew up modest and, and never had a bunch of money, you know, we had to work. And all of a sudden I could, I could take a little bit of time and sit on the couch for a while. And I remember saying that to her, like, we don't have to worry now as much, but a lot of really good people quit really good jobs to come to SharePoint. And a lot of them did, cause I told them we were different and, and we were, and now we're not, we might even be worse in some ways. And I feel like I have a chance to make a difference and I'll be running away from my family and friends. And I feel like I have to try this. And so I, I took the role and 10 weeks into it, uh, and, and for background, little context, I'm an instrument mechanic by trade. I don't have a business degree. I, I didn't get any education around this stuff. And all of a sudden, I am, uh, I am the CEO of a, a fairly large corporation um, and really don't know what the hell I'm doing, to be honest with you. Uh, 
but I did know that, you know, what made us successful at one time was we just, we just rallied around each other. Like people really, really cared about SharePoint and we cared about each other. And I was trying to find a way, you know, to quickly pull us back together <clears throat> because we were losing lots of good people. And, and uh, 10 weeks, 10 weeks in as a CEO, 10 to 12 weeks, I got a letter of forbearance from, from our bank. And I didn't know what that was. Um, but it looked, it looked scary. And then I found out, you know, sh very shortly after that it was basically we had to come up with, uh, with a bunch of money, um, which was seemingly impossible because we weren't making any, uh, or find a new bank, which was again, seemingly impossible or, or there was a high likelihood of foreclosure in four to five months. And so get put into this thing called the workout group. All of a sudden I am like, oh my God, you know, my ego's just like fear, anxiety, and, and, you know, I'd like to say, uh, say uh, it's really all about me. And, and so I'm like, oh my God, I, you know, my fingerprints are on this, what I'm going to do. I'm going to be the guy that took this thing down. I don't know what to do. And I was really panicked and kind of internalizing things. And one night it was a Tuesday. I remember it clearly in the middle of the night, I woke up and I was like, oh my God, I've been thinking of this wrong. This is a gift. I've been praying for a an opportunity, something to help bring us together. And the SharePoint team rallies around crisis better than anything and, and probably anyone or any organization in the world. No bigger crisis than, than you know, we might, might not be around in four or five months. And so I coined it the gift of forbearance. And I got up that morning and I got on the road. And in that like four days, I started that morning. I went to every branch. I went and had coffee with people in their houses out to job sites. I went everywhere and I had these conversations with them about, uh, about what, what our reality was. I first, I led with, I'm, I'm Trevor. Most of you know me, I'm way over my head. And then I quickly went into, um, and I'm really sorry. We screwed this up. Like we didn't mean to, um, I know you don't feel like we care, but we do. And I certainly care. And, uh, and we, you know, we can rebuild this, we can rebuild it better, but I also want to tell you something else. We're in this thing called forbearance. I don't really know much about it other than it's bad. And, and there, if we don't do a lot of things, you know, right in a short period of time, um, then we're not going to be around. And I want you all to know, so you can go find other jobs. And, and I said, you know, we will rebuild this thing. If, you know, I hope you stay. Um, I've decided to, and if you do, I believe we can build a better company than we've ever had and a better culture than we've ever had, which was a major, a major statement. And, and so we rebuilt, we started to rebuild our company on this foundational call, core value called We Care. <laughs> and we're in an oil and gas industry, like predominantly type A males, um, you know, sports, athletics, cowboys, and, and they, you know, talking about caring is just foreign. It's foreign to men anyway, I find, to be honest with you, but it's certainly foreign to, uh, to the type of folks that, that work here. And, and so it was a tough sell. And I kept seeing things like caring is a competitive advantage, like, and, and we're going to prove that. And, and so we go through this stuff and, and, you know, it got, it was really, really hard, but, but the team rallied, came together and they pulled us, they pulled us through these times that were seemingly impossible to get through. And I learned a whole bunch about myself and I learned a whole bunch about human beings and resiliency and how, when people will work together to help each other, there's nothing they can't accomplish. And so fast forward, we, we kind of get, uh, you know, we go through some ups and downs. The industry takes a pretty good beating a few years later. It just, you know, we just keep slugging it out like our team fights hard and, and for each other. And in 2018, we get an opportunity. Uh, the private equity group had, had got a hold of me and said, look, you know, we love you guys, but it's just really time for us to exit the fund. Like we got to move SharePoint on. Um, and, 
And uh, my plan was always to go and do something else. Like I was like, okay, nice exit strategy here. Um, but the thought of that uh, is like, oof, you know, I, I called them back the next day and said, just hold off before you put it to market. I want to talk to some of the folks in SharePoint. And one of my dreams had always been to give this thing back to the people if they wanted it, like have them own it. Um, entrepreneur, being an entrepreneur is a bit of a trap. You start a company usually out of a labor of love. You believe you're going to do it different. Your friends, it's all the people come to work. You're going to, you're going to be different than every other organization you ever work for. You're going to be better. You're going to care more, do all this stuff. And then it gets hard. You get some growth. There's some really tough stuff. You run out of money. You've got your house mortgaged. You do all this stuff. And if you're fortunate enough to get through it, there's only one exit strategy typically, and that's to sell the you know, that's to sell your baby and all and, and the entire family with it. And the people, you know, for me, I got I got a payout from uh, from when we sold, but everybody else got up the next day and had to go to work. Like there were only 10 of us that really had a finance, like a major financial benefit from it. And I was always like, it didn't make sense to me. All these people work so hard to, you know, to, to help organizations be successful. And, and they get they get paid well and they get treated well. But I was like, well, three distribution became a thing that I became extremely focused on. And in 2018, I went to a few of the folks and said, hey, would you like to buy SharePoint back? Um, and, and if you do, I'll stay and do it again. I'll put some more money into this. But on one caveat, you all have to be open to us becoming an employee-owned business. So we, we, uh, we started to create this structure. We got some help from... Uh, chairman of our board, he's a guy who is, who is arguably developed maybe the most successful employee sharing ship program in North America, maybe the world. Um, and he joined our team, uh, invested and became our, our chairman of our board, uh, brought a lot of experience with this with it. And so we're like, we build out a structure. We got 15, we started with 15 owners um, to get this thing bought back. And, uh, and we're just like all excited and pumped. And, and, and you, we're going into, into 2019, 2020. And we're looking at having the biggest month that we've ever had in the history of SharePoint. And all of a sudden the world stops like, urge. <laughs> and, uh, and so fear, I, I think is the, is the most appropriate word probably for everybody on the planet. And it was different for different reasons we found. Some people were afraid of the virus, like definitely afraid of it. And, and some weren't, but they were afraid of financial insecurity. And, and some were afraid of, you know, how were their kids going to cope and how were their parents going to cope? And, and so, and then as an organization, it's how do you survive this? Like, how do you, how do you get, how do you get through it? This is such an unknown. And I think we did like, like every organization or the majority of them. And, uh, and we had, we had assumed that our revenue would probably drop by 30 or 40%. We were way off. It dropped by 60 to 70% for a while. Um, and, and here we are, uh, a, a group that had just bought this company back, highly leveraged, took on a lot of debt. Got now, now people I love, my like people who are like family to me, have remortgaged their houses to put money into this thing because we're going to go for it and it's going to be fun and they're going to do well. And and all of a sudden, we don't know what the future looks like at all. Um, and so, worked with our network a lot, spent a lot of time with uh, different peers, um, and kind of the general consensus was conserve capital. It was you know, cut costs and, and our costs are people. And so we, uh, you know, we spent a couple of weeks sort of agonizing over, over this decision, made a list, you know, of some folks that we we're going to 
going to let go, finalized it on a Friday morning and, uh, and Monday, Tuesday, we were going to, we were going to have the tough conversations with some folks. And Friday night, I called our CEO and our, our one VP about, I don't know, six or seven o'clock at night. And I said, don't let anyone go Monday. Like, they're like, huh? I said, like, no one, don't let anyone go. I said, we're a few weeks into this. We don't even, we can't even make a good decision right now. Um, you know, we don't know if this is going to last two weeks, two months, two years. We don't, we don't know if half the population is going to die or no one's going to die. The only thing we know right now is people are scared to death for the reasons that I mentioned. People are told to go and stay in their houses. They're not supposed to go see their families. They can't go see their parents. They can't go on dates with their spouses. They can't go hang out with friends. They can't go beers with buddies. The kids can't swipe on Tinder. Like nothing is normal. We, we, that's the only thing we know. And, and we also have a playbook to go back to. We went through a tough period and we were just honest with the folks and they helped us through, through this. So we're going to take a different approach on Monday, Tuesday, we're going to have a town hall and we're going to tell people the truth. We're not letting anyone go yet. We, we, you know, we care. We're never going to have a better opportunity to exemplify this value and, and that we built this thing on. And, and so we have an opportunity to show people that we actually do care. And this is a time where people need people and people need organizations to be there. And that's what we believe. And I said to our team, cause they're young, like they're our VP and our two VPs and our CFO were in their thirties. And I said, no matter what, this will be the most memorable time of your career. And whether we get through or not, if, if my belief is if we don't get through, then we weren't going to anyway. And I said, make no mistake, we'll be in a book one day. It'll either be, if they could do it, um, how many other companies could have, or this is why you never, ever do what they did. And I said, it's going to be one extreme or the other. And so we, uh, and so we, we had that conversation with the team and, and went over well. But to be honest with you, uh, we weren't doing folks, some of our folks, a lot of favors because they're hourly employees and they go, they get paid if they go to work in the field and we get paid for them. So a few weeks go by and, and the work just dropped off. And so instead of letting them go in Canada, there was a, a CERB, a Canadian, uh, I don't know what it stands for, but there was a way they could get a couple thousand bucks a month um, quickly. And, and at least it's something. So now we're keeping a team of people together. And, and we also wanted to keep them together so that we could find ways to still keep them engaged so that folks weren't sitting at home all alone through this. And, but now, now we're not paying them. And, uh, and the, the government came out with an employee subsidy program, wage subsidy program. And, and basically there was a match up to a certain amount if you keep people employed. And, and we said, cool, you know, great. Now we can keep some folks employed. But we did something that was super unique. And turns out, I don't know if anybody else did it actually. Um, we, we made a decision when we heard about that. I went to our CFO and said, hey, now that we've kept the people, what if we guaranteed everybody a paycheck? Like, and he said, we do. I'm like, no, no. I mean, our, our hourly staff, the ones that go to the field, our first year apprentices and our journeymen. And I said, I was thinking something like this. What if we guaranteed all our journeymen $5,000 and all our apprentices 2,500 bucks? And then a second year, you know, 3,000, a third year, 3,500 uh, and so on. And, and, and so we, we would have to do a top up on every single person that we, that we paid. And he said, I love the idea, but we can't afford it. And, and I said, but what if we could? And he's like, I'd absolutely support it. So I went to our board and got an amazing board. And, uh, and I, I, I pitched it, I pitched it to them and, and they said the same thing. We'd absolutely support it, but 
can you afford it? I don't think you can afford it. And I said, well, I don't know. What if we cut? They're like, yeah, we'll support it. So then I came back and talked to our, our leadership team and said, ask them the same thing. How would you feel if we actually kept everybody and guaranteed everybody a paycheck? And, and it's, a, it's an easy thing to say yes to. It feels so good. And everyone said yes. And I said, but there's one problem. We can't afford it. You know, here, here's the reality. We just can't, not the way that we're structured. What I'm about to ask is going to be extreme for some of you. And you can say no, um, but there's only one way we can do it. And some of us are going to have to sacrifice a lot. I am willing to give up 50% of my pay. I said, uh, you know, for whatever duration the program runs for. Um, and we're going to need some of you to give up 30% and some 20. And, and it was about a 15 or 20 minute conversation. And here's the thing. These are, I told you, these are folks in their 30s. They have kids, they have mortgages, they have SUVs, they have quads and snowmobiles. They have way too much shit. But, but they have it like and and then it's not going away and they have a lifestyle and and they're full of fear and anxiety and about a 15 or 20 minute conversation and I said no gun to anyone's head if anybody in the stream says no then we'll go a different way like and and nobody needs to know and they they said yes to it they agreed and the entire company ended up giving up a minimum of 10 percent so that we could we could keep you know uh, keep our folks and and pay them for seven and a half months. I think Gem and I were about nine months uh, on that reduced uh, pay. I you know I I knew that it would create uh, an opportunity for us to really show that we care. Um, you know, knew that it would create a bit of stickiness, but more than anything, it was the right thing to do. And and that the fact that everybody was willing to sacrifice for everyone else will go down as the proudest moment in my career for sure. And it was tough and it was hard and we still aren't making money. And, and as we've come out of the pandemic, um, we, have, we have been attracting some of the most amazing people in the industry, like folks, some of the most amazing people in the world, technically some of the strongest in the industry. And our company is growing. And, and there's this feeling, this sense of we, we care um, that just permeates through our organization. And, it, and it's real, you know, we were able to back it up. And the next thing that we did, Britt, was when people were getting paid anyway, uh, the amount of things that we did in the community, we, we wanted to keep our folks engaged. So we started a master chef cooking class that not we, a few of our guy, guys and gals did. And every week for 40 weeks on a Wednesday, virtual cooking class with each other. And then on Sunday, you send ingredients and send out the recipe and everyone gets together, then, then eats together at the end and with their families. And we published a professionally published a cookbook from that. And then we sold that and, and gave the money to a not-for-profit that feeds homeless and people in Edmonton at Christmas. But we went one step further. We also showed up with a whole group of us and made the sandwiches and the soup, donated the money, made the sandwiches and the soup. And then we went out into the streets and me and uh, 15 to 20 of our folks went out and handed out the sandwiches and went and engaged with some of the you know those those who suffer uh, more than us. And, and, and in Grand Prairie, we did something similar. We uh, it started to see this this love just going out and this kindness being shared throughout the world um, and our folks would just come up with these crazy things and these things to help human beings at Chris I, I can tell you stories make you cry I mean we helped this family and this young girl a six-year-old who uh, ended up dying of cancer and we were able to take Christmas presents to her and her, her her brother and you see these smiles on these faces and I still keep in touch with the parents and you just become connected in these very short interactions with these human beings 
And then a group of us showed up when she did pass away. We, we went to the town where she lived and went to the funeral. And, and uh, we did a, we were, we had a magician hired to come and do a, uh, do a magic show um, for us for a Christmas party. And of course, all of that ends, you can't have Christmas parties. So talk to Matt, uh, Gore is his name and he's phenomenal. And, and uh, talked to our team and said, well, why don't we do a virtual one for our company? That way it's not even just one location, it's everywhere. So this is actually good. And, uh, and we went from that to, well, let's open it up to friends and family to what if we open it up to the entire world for free? And so we did this virtual magic show a, mag a magical Christmas with SharePoint, we called it. And, uh, and we did it two years in a row. And Matt was at a conference that uh, some of us were at and he got on stage and he saw us. He's like, ah, oh, there's my SharePoint family. And he tells his story of how we had, uh, we had engaged him to do this. And he was gracious enough to do it. Um, and we had over 10,000 viewers that, that, uh, that had watched uh, this show. And just, I mean, I could, I could spend two hours talking about that. And, and so I think I had told you when we first met, you know, we do instrumentation, electrical, mechanical services, and we do well, and I'm super proud of that. Um, but what I love to talk about is who we are. And, mm. and that, is, uh, that, is, that is who we are. You know, we're a company that makes a lot of mistakes, but man, when, uh, when someone needs help in this organization, you get flooded with love. Mm. Well, Holy smokes. There is a lot to unpack in, in what you were just talking about. And, you know, first of all, I think the journey it's, it's just so truly representative of the heart of the leadership. Like, I, I mean, I can't even fathom some of those big decisions. There's so many times in there where you could have quit. You all could have quit. You all could have just walked away and said, forget it. This is hard. This is stressful. This is, you know, it's taking too much brain power or whatever, but you didn't. And there's so much resiliency in that. So there's a couple of things that, that I made note of when you were talking there, Trevor, one thing is, you know, if I'm thinking about the advisor audience, listening to this, there's one thing that a lot of them deal with both personally and with their clients. And it's the little notion of, uh, preparing for big money right? Like there comes a point where you make a decision within your business to, uh, sell, to explore the whole private equity sale. Like you've talked about maybe mergers, acquisitions, different things along those lines, whether you're being acquired or you're merging with somebody else, or you're looking uh, at acquiring another business. So there's this whole world, this whole space. Then on the other side of that, a lot of the advisors that listen, uh, that either are participating in our programs or they just write in off of the show, they deal with people who are business owners, who are either fast approaching some sort of liquidity event or have had one. And there's a common theme there about not being prepared for that windfall, not being prepared for that, that money to come into play and what you're then going to do with your life. So Trevor, I would love to know as somebody who's actually been there, done that, been through it, is there anything that you would have done different in preparation for your sale and for that liquidity event that you had? Yeah, um, I think I shared last time. So uh, the time in my life, uh, like when we ended up selling SharePoint, everything changed for me. And so uh, financially, obviously, um, and and it, it should have been, you know, it was always growing up and, and kind of getting to that point. It was always the, the belief that I had internally was, was that's when, when I made, when I made it, like everything was going to be okay. Like everything would be better. 
Um, how could it not be? You know, I had a, a beautiful wife, uh, you know, a, a son that had grown up, he's 18, had a fancy acreage and a sports car and horses and barns and, and family that loves me and friends. And now all of a sudden, you know, we're not, we're not in debt a million dollars and wondering, you know, how we're going to, uh, to make the bill payments the next month. There's some, there's some money and there's some relief. And it ended up being the very worst time of my life. I, uh, I spiraled out of control. I, I was not prepared. I was not prepared for that, for that moment. I spoke to a, a fellow who uh, on an airplane, actually, who's super famous. And I didn't, I didn't know that. Uh, I was chatting away with him and then told me who he was. And he started a company in the basement uh, of his house. He's a Canadian and he ended up selling it for $6 billion. Uh, he, he grew and there's a whole bunch of, bunch of folks. And I asked him, I said, how did you feel after? I love to ask people that question. Mm -hmm. And I said to him, how did you, how did you feel? like, obviously you don't have a mortgage. He laughs, no, you know, and can do anything he wants in the world. He said, well, I didn't own the whole company. Well, okay. So I don't know, 300 million or a billion, whatever it was. Um, and he said, honestly, he said, I, the kids were young, took them the kindergarten and, and grade one, took them out of school for six months. And my wife and family are going to spend all this time together as a family because we, we hadn't had the opportunity to because I was always so busy and we're going to travel around to a few different places in the world. He's on a beach in Australia, water lapping up to his knees uh, in the ocean. His family's building sand castles and his wife is with them. He said, I've never felt more lonely. I've never felt more, more lost. He said back then, a long time ago, the blackberries were cool. Uh, he's like, I just, I became insignificant and and uh, everything changed and it took him a couple of years and some counseling and life coaching to find to find a new purpose and uh i so i guess i guess my recommendation would be if if you're seriously looking to exit your business understand why like true and truly go through what does that mean and 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 there's nothing wrong with being brutally honest with yourself to say I'm just tired and I want to take some money off this thing and I've done my thing and whoever takes it is going to do what they do. Um, and that's okay. As long as you understand what it is and have a plan on what you're going to do after. And I mean, like day seven, the first few days are just exciting. It is all of a sudden, you know, you get up in the morning and it's like, I don't have to do anything today, you know, <laughs> drink coffee. Uh, but after a week or so, it starts to sink in. Like most of us, our identity is tied to our businesses and, and very few entrepreneurs ever have side hustles or side hobbies. They, they, they seldom even have time with their family, to be honest with you. And, uh, and, and so I encourage a lot of people now, don't wait for that day. Like life, life is short. I don't know if you saw my someday took a day video or not, if I, I shared it with you, but yeah. you know, and, and I just did a trip to Malaysia and just came back. I was over there for work and I jam packed as much stuff as I could in there. And, and, and I did a post on it here just recently. And I've been really thinking about, you know, life balance. There's no work life balance. There's that's horseshit. Um, it's uh, it is like, we don't get moments segregated for work and then the rest for life and you get to draw down these two accounts you, you get, you get so many seconds, so many breaths on this earth and none of us know how many, and, and yet we spend so damn much time on our businesses 
that we that we miss out on all these things and our intentions are great as entrepreneurs we want to build good companies we want to support our families we want to be there and and a, and a lot of it for me was was uh, you know unbeknownst to me at the time was about my ego as well it made me feel good you know and 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 then when it did become a part of my identity like that that was like tearing me in half when when we sold i ended up staying which was different for me than some um, and going through a lot more. I don't know how it would have looked if I would have would have left. Um, I was certainly depressed and sad and lonely and scared. And I think that for me, you know, the next time now, this is a big reason why we're going employee owned is, is there's going to come a time where this company, whether I want to go or not, needs to get rid of me. Like they, they are going to need another leader. And with an employee share ownership program and the employees on the company it's not just about investing money and, and growing your wealth it, it's also we have to create an environment and create a business that grows to support the growth of the individuals in the company it, it's really nice to tell some young gal or girl come here uh come here out of high school and and work here for 25 years um, and start as a first year apprentice and an administrator and in 25 years that's all you're going to be able to do like people won't stay and they shouldn't and so I have to move on at some point so that somebody else can actually take my position and they have to move on. And, and that kind of changes the whole thesis of uh, a business. Um, but, but for me, it's, it's really talk, doing the things that I talk a lot about and suggest other people do. It's, it's starting to find some of those things that really fill me up and, and find the time to do some of it, fit it in. And uh, I recommend all entrepreneurs start that before you even plan in an exit because it's just a good thing for your life anyway. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you hit the nail on the head so many times there and people spend so much time thinking about where they're coming from, right? Like what are they coming off of? What was the life before versus looking forward at what am I going to, and what is going to fill my cup? Um, you know, Brian and I are actually building a different platform right now. That's completely geared towards that too, like coming off of whatever identity and making sure that you have this focus because it's a need. I mean, it's a massive need and your story gives such great example to that. So I want to go back to the topic of culture because on this podcast in basically all of our programs, we have a heavy emphasis on culture, you know, there's, and, and this, it spins it a little bit from, from what you were talking about, but you know, all it takes is one bad leader, one bad seed, you know, one bad attitude to really cause a conundrum in a business. So what are things that you guys have done to really help prevent or minimize that from happening? Uh, cause it seems like you do, I mean, as a leader, you truly show you care. You've gone above and beyond. How do you make sure that apple cart doesn't get tipped over? Um, that is, that is the hardest thing. Um, that's the hardest thing that we've faced. And we, and we, and we've gone through cycles of it. We brought some leaders in that are technically strong, good, good, good human beings too. Um, this is, this is what I learned. Not everybody fits every culture. Our culture is unique to us. And, 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 you know, there, there are some people who come in here. We're a pretty flat organization in spite of the fact that, you know, we have, have quite a few folks working here. Um, we make, uh, you know, we make decisions by consensus, so shared leadership. And, and so that doesn't fit for everybody. We've had some, we've had some people and, and sometimes people, you know, over time change in your organization and they, and, and they just get to these places where they need to move on. It's, and, and it's kind of like being in a marriage where, you know, it's just, it's not bad. It's not good. And you just need something else. 
you know, you one of the two typically ends up sabotaging the, the relationship instead of just being being honest. And and so we've saw some of that. And it's tough because, you know, um, we get challenged a lot in SharePoint on we care when, you know, when we discipline somebody, or let somebody go, you know, it's pretty easy to throw out all oh, you say you care. And, and, you know, we get called frauds sometimes. And, and, you know, I've had to, I've had to kind of take that and, and be like, okay, well, we, we care means that we're going to do the right thing. It, it means we're going to have the tough conversations. It means we're going to uh, we're going to talk to the folks that are, are fit, aren't fitting in. And and the other thing, if you truly care about a human being, and I think this is something that we learned, and I learned it the hard way, be honest sooner. You know, we we have saw opportunities for people to change, but if somebody's coming into your organization or into your life and doing the same thing over and over and over again, and you're not you're not bringing any awareness to it, and then one day you're like, this thing sucks. Everybody's quitting because you know, Johnny's a dick. Um, and, and then you go get rid of Johnny because you lost the people. And then it just, it, 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 uh, it becomes schizophrenic. And all of a sudden, nobody knows what, like, okay, he's always been that way. And, and, and we have made the mistake of, of hanging on to people too long that just didn't fit. And a lot of times because, you know, they drove significant amount of revenue or, or they've been here a long time and there's a loyalty. And today it's more like what would have happened with some of them if we would have on it, like had a like real honest conversation with them. I mean, like sit in the room and let them know that, that this is how they're being perceived. This is how they're making people feel that this, this is a problem because it doesn't fit our, our values. Um, and that's something that we're really working on as an organization because we have saw some people flip. There, there are some conversations I've had where people are like, that's how I'm being perceived. Are you kidding me? I don't believe anybody gets up in the morning, like anybody, even the people who are truly, you know, out there being asses. Um, they don't get up, look in the mirror and say, I'm going to go out and ruin people's day. Uh, mm -hmm. Most people don't even have the awareness to understand how they're being perceived. I, I have a friend who says this often, I'm not much, but I'm all I think about. And that, like, that is me to a T. And that is most human beings, you know, we yeah. get up and we, we have this image of ourselves. And it's, and, and so now I say, it's extremely unkind of us. And, and it goes totally against our values. When we move somebody out of the organization, and they get caught off guard, they were shocked. Um, mm -hmm. It's also extremely unfair to every person in our company and to our team and our family if we allow somebody to stick around who continues to cause issues after you've given them the awareness. And, mm -hmm. and I learned this from a, a life coach years ago. He was, Art was his name, he's an older guy. And he said, Trevor, um, and, and I was struggling with some stuff and some things were coming up and I was feeling guilty about some things. And he, and he said, he said, Trevor, nothing, you can't change anything in your life until you become aware of it. Like nothing. You, mm -hmm. you can't, you can't fix a problem you're unaware of. He said, and, and here's the nice, great thing about awareness. Once, once you're aware, you're aware, but here's the other thing. Once you're aware, you can never become unaware. And, and he said, you can pretend he said, and then there's three A's to any change in life. There's awareness, there's acceptance, and there's action. And if I think about everything in my life, every time I've made a change, those are the three steps that have happened, whether I, whether I accept, whether I admit it or not, or even, even knew it. But he said, he said, you have to become aware of something and then you have to make a choice. Do you accept the, you know, when you're talking about a human being, that's maybe a culture killer and, and we give him the information so that he's aware. Now you have to accept that information and then you have to go to work. So there's awareness and then there's acceptance, which is, 
which is a choice. And then there's action, which is work. And he, he said it to me like this. He said, so anything that you did before you became aware, let it go. Like you, you just, you just didn't know. Now you do. Now everything, if you continue to do that, now you're, now you're not accepting it. And he, he said, he gave me an analogy that really stuck. He said, uh, he said, do you like Disneyland? I said, I love, I love Disneyland. He said, well, you're with your family. You live in Edmonton, but you're on the log ride at Disneyland with your family. And, uh, and your house, your house is flooding. Do you worry about it? I'm like, absolutely. And, and nobody calls to tell you, do you worry about how you feeling on the log ride? I'm like, I love the log ride. I'm excited. He goes, exactly. You're, you're not aware. Now you finish your time at Disneyland. You, you fly home, you come home in the middle of the night, you open the door, you step in your house and your feet get wet and you live in a bungalow. He says, now, now your feet are wet. You know, there's some sort of a problem. He said, so you're aware that there's water on your, on your upper floor. Now, now you have a choice. You can accept that you have a problem or you can pretend that you now have an indoor swimming pool. You can buy a dinghy and a six pack of beer. You can float around in your basement until your foundation falls in on your head. And he said, that's how you're living your life. He said, or you can accept that you have a problem. You can, you can suck the water out. You can bring somebody in. You can get it all cleaned up. You can get somebody to rebuild the foundation and make it better than it's ever been. But he said, now that you're aware, it's all up to you. And, and I, I believe that we as human beings and as leaders have such a hard time being, I still do. I still have a hard time being honest with people uh, because I don't want to hurt their feelings and I want to be nice. And so I'm trying to reframe that just for myself and our team. Mm. means we'll be honest with you. I would way rather know, you know, if somebody's disappointed in me, than keep doing what I'm doing. Amen. And, you know, there's so much value in what you just said too, Trevor, because, you know, I, and I think, I think we've all, um, struggled with that. I mean, if you're in business, you're a leader, you're a founder, owner, you know, whatever that, that title, that role is, we've all dealt with times that are so challenging when it comes to team members, where we have let people stay on too long. We've had the guilt of, well, they've been loyal to me for, for, for this long. And one thing that we talk about a lot on this podcast is how, you know, what got you here won't get you there. And I think you completely captured the essence of that on so many levels and what you just shared in that it doesn't just mean the people, but it's also your own awareness. It's how you show up. It's what you commit to, and it's what you stand for going forward. So it's like this multifaceted approach, you know, to making sure that you're really leveling up in life and that you're holding yourself accountable uh, along with your team members, along with the performance factor and all the things in between. So, um, Trevor, you have seriously dropped so much value. And I always think it's interesting because, you know, when you're in your own industry, we all think our problems are anomalies. Like we think our industry is the hardest. We think <laughs> our problems are the worst. We think our opportunities are the best and we can't become so siloed. So that's what we love about bringing on people that are completely outside of our realm so that the advisors that are listening and tuning in can truly feel seen and heard and understand that they're not alone, that we all have these challenges that we face. And regardless, it's an uphill battle, but there's a ton of reward at the same time. So, uh, Trevor, before we wrap up, I want you to share and I, I believe we talked a little bit about this on the podcast interview under the dream architect life, but value alignment, you know, you, you talked about a few different scenarios in your life and how the entrepreneur entrepreneur can get so caught up in themselves, their business that they kind of let life go. So how do you define your values now with all the lessons that you've had in life? What's value alignment mean to you? 
So for, for me, it, it came down to actually coming up with some values, some core values, some personal core values. And, and, and I had the luxury of, you know, working with some amazing leaders and coaches and different people in my life. Um, and so, so when we sold SharePoint and I, I shared in, in the last uh, chat that we had, you know, what had happened to me in my life and how I got my perspective on life. And, and so if you, if you look at SharePoint, and I don't think it's a surprise to anybody, if you look at SharePoint and the values that we have in the direction we're going, they, they, uh, they align very much with my personal, my personal core values as well. Um, and, and I think the hardest part for me, and I shared this last time, and it, it might be something that resonates with other folks, is because these, because these businesses, are, our business become so much of our identity that we, that we lose all other parts of our identity. Or, or we forget. I forgot who I was. I was so lost. I was so lonely. The, the only thing that I had, the only thing that I felt was worthwhile. Um, the only thing that I felt was, you know, that I contributed in life was, was tied to this business. And, uh, and it took me to a really, really dark spot. Today, I, I, I still struggle with balance. I still struggle. I still go through times of of anxiety. I just actually, uh, you know, had a really tough couple of weeks and had to work through some things and, and nothing, nothing really major going on in my life. That's a stressor, um, but just a little bit of stuff. And I stopped doing the things that are important for me to stay mentally and emotionally healthy. And, and I usually pick up on those signs quicker and do it. You know, for me, it's, it's, it's exploring, it's doing different things. It's, you know, taking up yoga because somebody recommended it and trying that and going hiking with friends and, and doing a bunch of different stuff. And I have to schedule those things in every second Sunday. If I don't schedule a walk in with friends, I just don't do it because I end up focusing on, on this. And, and I, I think as, as, as human beings, entrepreneurs, leaders, um, you know, uh, husbands, wives, uh, with with uh, with families, we have to get over this notion that doing things that are good for ourselves, that are healthy for us, taking the time to do that stuff for us is selfish, because it's actually not. It was a tough thing for me to learn, um, but I realized today that I was given permission by Dr. Gans to be selfishly selfless, and uh, and it's made a big difference in my life. And so, um, I'm not sure that answered your question. I kind of rambled. No, it a hundred percent answers the question. And, and, you know, it does go back to, it's like pausing, it's taking that breather and really looking at what's most important. And, you know, th there's the question at the end of the day is, you know, what do you want to be known for? What do you want on your eulogy? I know it's a morbid thought, but it's, it's like, Oh, you know, he or she worked herself to death or himself to death. Well, I don't really want that to be in my eulogy. And honestly, you know, so that's another thing that I did and I did it with our team. And I, I think we will again, we did it quite a few years ago. I said, and, and I didn't make it about the eulogy um, because people look at that as morbid reflection. I don't anymore. I actually, that's what helps ground me to realize that I have a finite amount of time and I don't know how much that is. Yeah. Um, that, that, that helps ground me. It's like, what matters most? I mean, all of this stuff that we do, like we, we have, we have so many seconds. We don't know how many we have. And so I hope that I spend more time of them doing things that matter most in my life. And, and, and it doesn't mean I don't have to do work and some stuff I don't like, but it should all add up to something greater than me. And, and, and I, we did this, you know, what do you want to be known for if, uh, if on your exit out of SharePoint, you know, what is right your, write the speech that somebody else would say about you if you weren't in the room when when you were done and and I I revisited that about four weeks ago and was like you know I 
I, I am living my life more towards that than not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, certainly, uh, certainly not perfect in any way here, but um, I think those are all, all good things. And I think the other thing is for me, especially early on, I had to schedule, I had to schedule my me time, just like I did any other meeting. Yeah. And I had to get over the guilt. Like when I would go hiking with a buddy on a Saturday for two hours where I could have been at work, or I could have been spending time with my, with my wife. As soon as we both realized that I'm a better human being when I do that. And so instead of me stealing from the joy of moments that she would have, instead of being a martyr in everything I did with her, Mm. uh, I come into it healthy and patient and I bring more to that experience instead of take away from it. My Mm. friend, call me an emotional thief. (laughs) You're constantly (laughs) stealing joy. <laughs> don't, that's a good, that's a good way to wrap is don't be a joy thief. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you took away nothing else. Don't that's be good. a joy thief. <laughs> well, Trevor, if anybody wants to uh, get a hold of you, follow you, maybe learn about the someday to today initiative, uh, how would they do that? Yeah. Um, the easiest way to get me is on LinkedIn. I uh, just under Trevor mirror, look up SharePoint group. You're going to find a lot of things on the different things that we talked about. Um, a lot of our community stuff is there. Someday to today is there. Uh, and, and if you, if anybody shoots me a, a note on LinkedIn, anybody I'll, I'll connect with them. And if they want to chat, I'll share my email address with them. Uh, if they're, if they're interested in it um, for sure. If anybody has any questions or or comments or wants to learn a little bit more about, you know, what we've, what we've done, because it's been a journey here and, and it will continue to be, I, uh, I know one thing we will, uh, we will continue to make mistakes and we'll continue to learn and grow. Mm, so good. And so true. Well, Trevor, it has been a great pleasure talking to you again and the amount of value, like I said, that you shared in this, whatever, 45, 50 minutes that we've been together has been wonderful. So do you have if you could only say one closing comments, like less than three sentences, what would it be? You know, I've kind of come down to this and it is, uh, I, I, am really big on authenticity, find who you are and, and then, and then be brave enough to be you. And I think I said it at the, at the last uh, one too, like it, it, it's okay to be you. The world needs you. Mm, amen. Well, Trevor, I'm in such gratitude for you taking the time today. Time is the only commodity we can't get back. Uh, so thank you sincerely for sharing with us today. Well, likewise, uh, Britt, and loved, uh, loved our chats and thank you for inviting me back. Absolutely. That wraps up today's episode of the Ultimate Advisor Podcast. We'll catch you right back here next time. Hey there, Brittany Anderson here. If you are loving what you're hearing on our Ultimate Advisor podcast, don't keep us a secret. Share us with other advisors that you think would benefit from the messages that you are hearing. The easiest way to do that is to simply send them to ultimateadvisorpodcast.com. And if you want to learn a few other ways that we could potentially serve you as an advisor, go check out ultimateadvisormastermind.com. As always, we are so happy to have you here with us as part of the Ultimate Advisor community, and we look forward to a continued relationship.